So uh, I am really excited because today we are starting a new series. We are going to do First and Second Thessalonians, two books that go together, uh, and we are starting today. So I'm going to introduce the series, and then I'm leaving, and the other guys are going to teach you what Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. So I'm just going to introduce it and hand it off to them. So we are going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. So if you would stand with me, and we will read the words of the Lord. Seth, did you put those on the screen? Right? All right. Here we go. All together. We're learning this. I, like, I don't know how to do this out loud and lead you guys, but we're going to do it anyways. Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace. We gave thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. These are the words of the Lord. All right, come on, David, you're failing me. These are the words of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. We're trying some new things. We're learning some, some new things here at Grace, and that's one of them. So we just kind of, we'll get it. It's only been two months. You guys have every excuse. All right, so here we go. You and I, like, as a church and as the church in general, we use uh, certain words. Um, we, sometimes we call these church ease or church words. But one of the words that we use a lot and we use on purpose a lot is the word gospel, Right? We use the word gospel a lot, and sometimes I think we take it for granted. I think most, a lot of us don't even know what that word means, um, but that's a word that gets thrown around in church a lot. So um, our English word gospel um, comes from a, like an Anglo-Saxon phrase, God's spell, which is where we get the term word of God, right? So uh, the word in Greek in the New Testament is, um, let's see if I can not butcher this, eugelizo. Uh, which translated uh, literally into English means evangelism, right? So there's a little bit that gets lost when we translate sometimes things into English. This is really what the word gospel means. The Greek word is evangelism or to proclaim good news. So uh, when we hear the term gospel applied to things other than what we're talking about today, sometimes we think, oh, that's heresy. Well, the word gospel just means to proclaim good news. So this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a very specific gospel. And so it's the gospel that we believe in, and it's the gospel that, that our church is founded on, right? And the church is founded on. Now, um, most of the time when you and I use the word gospel, we use it as a noun, all right? This is not English class, uh, but that's how we tend to use it. It's the gospel or it's a gospel right? That's how we use it. But at least half the times that the word gospel is used in the New Testament, it's used as a verb. So if, if it's been 
longer for you since it's been for me since we got out of school and we forget what a verb is. There's action implied there, right? And most of the time, uh, over half the time, the, the term gospel is used in the New Testament. It's used as a verb. So what we're going to do today as we walk through these six verses of Thessalonians is we are going to gospel one another, right? We are going to proclaim good news to one another as we see um, how Paul starts out the letter of 1 Thessalonians and what it is that he's trying to get across. Here's one of the things that we know um, that I I strongly, strongly believe about uh, the scriptures and specifically Paul's epistles is that he doesn't waste words. So when Paul says something in his intro, he's using specific words for specific reasons, and he's trying to make a point. He's not just saying, hey, how are you? And we don't even need to study the intro because he's just saying hi, right? He's using these specific words for specific reasons, and we have to understand what it is that he's saying in these first six verses if we're going to understand the rest of the book. And we can't understand the rest of the book if we don't understand these first six verses. So uh, most of us, when we think of the word gospel, we think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Well, they're the gospels. So, but I mean, we see the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. If you know where to look, you will see the gospel in every single page of your Bible. Every single page. The gospel is God's eternal redemptive plan to bring about the new creation in and through the broken and sinful human race. Right? So the gospel that we proclaim is the gospel of God's redemptive plan that began in eternity past and heads to eternity future. God's plan to redeem all things to himself. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what Paul says, and he says four things, right? He talks about the origin of the gospel. He talks about the preaching of the gospel. He talks about the power of the gospel and the hope of the gospel. All four of these things packed into these short little six verses. So that's what we're going to do. All right? Number one, the origin of the gospel. In verse four, he says, We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. So, is the origin of the gospel that God chose us? No. The origin of the gospel is that God loved us. Everything about the gospel flows out of the fact that God loves us. Again, this is something that we see on every single page of the Bible. God loves us. Uh, One of my favorite places to go in the world, in the entire world, is in Central Oregon. If you, right before you get to Black Butte, there's a turnoff for uh, the Metolius River. And if you drive back there, you can actually go to the headwaters of the Metolius. And this is crazy. I'm sure there are other places like this in the world. But if you go to this little pullout and there's a little park and you walk down a little path and you come to this little overlook, and it's, the, it's one of the most picturesque places on the entire planet, there's a river flowing out of the side of a mountain. Like not, not like a little bubbling stream that then there's another little bubbling stream another, and eventually miles down the way it becomes a river. Like there's nothing there and there's a river there. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. A river actually flows out of a lava tube out of the side of Black Butte. It's crazy, right? So that's the source of the Metolius River, right? That mountain 
And, and where it bubbles at, that's the source. So you could, if you went 20 miles downstream, you're like, oh, I want to see where this river comes from. And you walked all the way up, you would find that spot, right? As we trace the gospel back to its source, this is where we come to. God is love. Everything about the gospel, everything about the world we live in, everything about the scriptures constantly comes back to this, the headwaters of God's plan, his love, his intense sacrificial love for you and for me. This is where it all starts. And ironically, this is where it all ends, right? We never get outside of this. We never leave it. This is the origin of the gospel, God's love for you, God's love for me. Paul echoes this sentiment when he says this in Ephesians chapter 1, the book that we just finished, right? This is a couple months back. You probably don't remember it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So there we have that, the same terms together again, right? We have the term chosen, we have the term love, but what comes first? Love. How did he choose us? In love, he chose us. In love, he predestined us. John 3, 16, everybody knows this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Why did he give his son? Because he loved us. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How are we conquerors? Through his love, right? For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? From the love of God. This is where it all begins. This is where it all ends. We cannot get away from it. God loves us. God loves us. Number two, the preaching of the gospel. Paul wrote in verse 5, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Now, this is, man, this has got to be a theme verse for preachers. Because I'm going to be honest, um, most Sundays, in fact, all Sundays, I feel woefully inadequate to do this. Because I don't have the, I don't have the ability to change anybody. I don't have the ability, like I can convince you of things, maybe, but that doesn't change you. Like that doesn't bring about salvation. Me convincing you what the Bible says is true doesn't bring about salvation. Right? The preaching of the word is something that we do, but it's not in our power. And the saving that happens through preaching and the changing that happens and the transformation that happens through preaching is not because I'm good at preaching, because I'm not. And even if I was, right? I had a good friend that is not a believer come and visit church one time. 
Uh, we've known each other since high school, and, and I got done, and he and his wife met me in the foyer, and she said, that was a really great speech. And I thought, man, like at first I was offended. Like that, I wasn't, that wasn't a speech, that was a sermon. How dare you, right? Like that's what happened in my heart. But as I thought about it later, I thought, man, that's a perfect analogy, isn't it? Like outside of the power of the Holy Spirit opening our ears to hear the gospel, that's all I'm doing right now is just flapping my gums. And that in and of itself benefits no one. No one. The preaching of the gospel works powerfully because of the work of the Holy Spirit and only because of the work of the Holy Spirit. In me and through me, to you guys, and back and forth it goes. I'm not special because I'm standing on a stage wearing a microphone. I'm here because God told me to be here. That's it. And that's what Paul did, right? He says, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. That's Paul saying, like, I spoke, but that's not how the gospel came to you, right? It it may have come through those words, but it wasn't the words that saved you. It was the power of the Holy Spirit and the conviction. We see in Acts 17 uh, that Paul uh, was in Thessalonica for about a month. About a month, right? Think about that. You go to a town you've never been to, you preach on the street corner for a month, and bam, a church is born. That's not how it happened here. That's crazy. Like the only way that happens is the work of the Holy Spirit. So we have the words of the gospel, we have the power of the gospel, we have the moving of the Holy Spirit, and we have conviction. That's what happens when the gospel is preached. Now, uh, Jesus, when he said that he was going to send the Holy Spirit, um, the, the word there means one who is called alongside, or that we tra- usually translate that as helper. What does the Holy Spirit help us do? Um, in John chapter 16, Jesus said that uh, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. One of the huge ways that the Holy Spirit helps us is by showing us our brokenness. The primary way that the Holy Spirit helps us is by convicting us. So when the gospel is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, what happens is the Holy Spirit settles on the ears and the eyes and the hearts of those who hear the gospel, and what happens? They are convicted. So that's what happened. Paul went to this town for, give or take, a month and preached the gospel, right? Not just with words, but with power in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction, and what happened? A church was born. Not through Paul, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about Jonah, right? Um, you know the story of Jonah. He like God says, go to Nineveh, and he says no, so he leaves on the ship, and then there's a storm, and he gets thrown off the ship, swallowed by the fish, and the fish for three days repents, gets spit back out on land. Craziest story in the Bible, right? Just insane. And he says, okay, okay, fine. I got swallowed by a fish. I can't get away from you. So he goes to Nineveh. Anybody remember what he says when he gets to Nineveh? Does he say, hey, Jesus loves you, man. 
And he just wants you to turn away from your wickedness, and he will save you. What does Jonah say? Hey, you guys got a month, and God's going to burn this place to the ground. That's, what, that's literally what he says. Now, that's my paraphrase, but there is no love. There's no, here's the way out. God wants you to repent. He says, God's coming, right? You're all going to die. That's what Jonah says, right? Not only does he do it in such a way that communicates no love at all, he does it with the most evil intent. He wants them to be destroyed. He hates them. And what happens? The Holy Spirit moves, the king repents, and the entire city gets on their knees in sackcloth and ashes and repents. That's what happens when the gospel is preached, sometimes even with false motives. Even when it's preached wrongly at times, the Holy Spirit still works. Right? That's why I can get up here and I can blab and blab and say things that later I'm going to regret. Uh, you guys remember a couple weeks ago, um, some of you were like, Sam just said that in church, I'm not even going to repeat it, but... Right? Sometimes I get ahead of myself and I say things, uh, sometimes by accident. And later, like, I, I get mixed up words because I sometimes my mouth gets ahead of my brain. And then, like, the next day, my wife will go, Do you, Did you mean to say that Jesus sends everybody to hell when he died for them on the cross? And I was like, I said that? No, I didn't mean to say that at all. And luckily, you guys, I think, know me well enough to know that no, that's not what he meant. But, right, because the Holy Spirit works, I can have confidence that even when I mix up words and say stupid things, it's not up to me. So I can talk and I don't have to worry about that because I am fully confident in the work of the Holy Spirit. Fully confident. I'm also fully confident that I don't have to preach my best sermon every single week. I prepare, I pray, and the rest is up to him. My job is to open my mouth and to preach the gospel. He does the rest. Anybody remember the first time they experienced this? I remember I was six or seven. I don't even remember what I did. But there was a moment I had with my mom where she was explaining to me what sin was and what the penalty of sin was and who Jesus was and what Jesus did for my sin. I remember it like it was yesterday. I don't remember what it was that I got in trouble for, but I remember very distinctly for the first time feeling convicted. Right? There's a big difference between fear and conviction. Right? I remember some of you uh, grew up in church and went to youth group, and anybody ever seen the skit, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames? Right? I performed in that skit in high school, I'm ashamed to say. Basically, it was a skit where uh, we have like teenagers at a party or whatever, and then uh, one of them dies in a car accident, and then they're, uh, they go to hell or something, and they're like, why didn't you tell me? Right? And the, the, like, the intent of the skit is to scare people, like, oh my gosh, this is what's going to happen if I die. If I don't know Jesus, I better know Jesus. But here's the problem with that. That's not conviction. But we as the church have tried to create ways to create convictions, conviction in people's hearts outside of the work of the Holy Spirit. So we try really hard to get people to see this and convince them of it, despite the fact that only the Holy Spirit can convict them of their sins. I can't do it. 
I can put, you know, flames on the screen and dress up like Satan and prance around and you don't want to spend eternity, right? It doesn't work. Like people will laugh or they'll get super scared and say, oh yeah, I want that. That's not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can save people. Only the Holy Spirit can convict people. And I remember when I was seven years old that I was convicted. Now, I've spent a lot of time over the years thinking back going, yeah, but then after that, I just went right back to beating the heck out of my little brother. Like, did it really take, right? But here's what I know. Here's what I know. I know that at that moment, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sins. I know for a fact that at that moment, I became a child of God. And I can look back over my life and see the ways that he has intervened and the ways that he has guided, the ways that he has protected, the ways that he has shaped and molded my life. And I know that that was the moment that he saved me. Because that was the moment that I experienced that for the first time. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? That's the power of the Holy Spirit in salvation. I was convicted of my sin. Now, there's a statement that's attributed to this guy named St. Francis. A lot of you guys know who he is, St. Francis of Assisi. And this statement goes like this. Preach the gospel at all times when necessary. Use words. Right? Now, there's a lot of evidence that actually suggests that that actually was, he never said that. Uh, one of the reasons we think that he probably never said that was because St. Francis of Assisi preached five times a day with words, right? So um, this doesn't really seem like something he would say. Now, we understand the point of this, right? We understand the point that, that, that preaching the gospel is more than just words. It has to be something that is lived out in our own lives as well. But just saying, um, preach the gospel when necessary, use words, is like saying, feed the poor and when necessary, use food. It just doesn't make sense. Because over and over and over and over and over, what do we see the apostles doing? Like, how was the church started? They preached the gospel. They go to a town, they preach the gospel for a month, they get, uh, they get beaten to a bloody pulp, kicked out of the town, and then the church grows. And they go to the next town, do the same thing, the church grows. How? Through the preaching of the gospel. And through the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit convicts the church springs up. It happens over and over and over. In fact, Romans 10 says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Right? The preaching, the audible preaching of the gospel is incredibly necessary. And it's not just my job. Right? My job is to equip and to train and to edify and to build up you. Your job is to preach the gospel to the world. Now, that's my job too, right? We're all in this together. But far too often we think, and again, I'm a PK, right? My dad was a pastor. I grew up with people coming to church, bringing their lost friends to church, introducing them to my dad so that my dad could save them. How jacked up is that? that that person doesn't think that the Holy Spirit can speak through them to save their friend. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit will speak just as powerfully through you as he does through me and as he did through Paul. That's the truth. 
Because it's the same Holy Spirit, right? We're just humans, and we're all humans. But the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit moves, uh, I mean, read the Bible, you see what happens when the Holy Spirit moves. Right? Seas get separated. Like, crazy, gnarly stuff happens when the Holy Spirit moves. Through a guy named Moses, by the way, who stuttered. Right? And you think you can't preach the gospel. Number three is the power of the gospel, right? So we have uh, the, the Holy Spirit convicting of sins, and then Paul says that you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Now, here's what's crazy about what Paul just said, and I think we lose track of this sometimes. Um, these people in uh, Thessalonica, this town where, where Paul went and started this church, they didn't have, um, they didn't have the four Gospels. They couldn't go back to the book of Matthew and read up on Matthew and go, oh yeah, I, I think what Paul's saying is right. Like, they didn't have that. All they had was what Paul preached to them. Isn't that insane? That was it. Like this dude shows up in town one day on the street corner and starts preaching this crazy thing and the Holy Spirit moves and they go, dude, that's totally true. My life has changed. I'm gonna like, sell stuff, everything I have, and I'm going to follow this guy I've never met named Jesus who died and came back to life. That's crazy. Like Paul didn't come to town and say, hey, if you go back to Matthew chapter 27, uh, we're going to... He didn't do that. So when he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, Paul, Silas, and Silvanus were the only people that these people knew who followed Jesus. That was it. That's crazy. But what happened? The power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit convicted them. And not only did he convict them, but the Holy Spirit lived in them and changed them. So they became imitators of Paul and of Jesus. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the Holy Spirit has the power to save people. But look at what Romans 8 says in verse 29. For those, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. So not only does the, the Holy Spirit have the power to save us, it has the power to change us. Right? How did these people become imitators of Paul? through the power of the same Spirit that saved them. Not only did it save them, it changed them. To be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So what does it mean to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus? What does it mean to be like Jesus? Right? Again, Scripture is pretty simple about this. And again, like as Christians... Uh, in the year 2018, we can kind of get sidetracked on what it means to be like Jesus. And we can come up with our own set of uh, moral fences as to what it means to be like Jesus. But the Bible is fairly simple. It says things like this, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, things like that. Those are the qualities of Jesus. And that is what we are being changed into by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The things that we see in each other that point us to Jesus are not us. If you see anything in me that points you to Jesus, it's not me. I can promise you that. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but who? Christ who lives in me. That's unreal. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't, hey, you're saved. Now you need to be a good Christian. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God loves you. And as we preach that God loves us despite who we are, right? Despite our brokenness, despite our cosmic rebellion as the human race against him, he loves us, came to die for us. As we hear those things and as the Holy Spirit convicts us in our hearts, in the deepest, deepest, deepest parts of our hearts, we are at that point new creations and we are gradually changed to be more like Christ. That's the gospel. And it's crazy because um, in Romans 8, he says that, Paul says that he predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Here's what's nuts about this, okay? So like when we think of the word predestination, we think about like, I don't know what you guys think about, but I think about Reformed theology. I think about the fact that God chose me to be saved before the creation of the world. But what Paul said in, in Romans 8 is that, that we were predestined to be conformed to the likeness of the sons. So not only was our salvation predestined, but so was our sanctification, right? My changing, my slow, the slow process of me becoming more like Jesus was predestined as well. Let, let me put this in like really simple terms. If I get on a plane that says LAX on it, right? I'm in, I'm in Portland, and I get on a plane and the, the, the sign over the door that I go into to get on the plane says LAX. That's LA, right? Los Angeles, California. If I get on a plane going to LA, where am I going to end up? I'm going to end up in LA. Probably, right? We've got a high probability of ending up in LA. So that's what it means. Like, we have a destination that has been predetermined. Like the pilot fills out a flight plan. We've got air traffic control. We're going to end up in L.A., right? So at every point between here and L.A., where are we going? L.A. And we're moving at a high rate of speed towards that goal. This is what Paul's talking about. Now, this is crazy for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons this is so crazy to me is that I never feel this. I never wake up in the morning and go, man, I'm so much more sanctified today than I was yesterday. And if I do, here's what I've learned, right? I turned 40 in almost exactly a year from today, so I'm still pretty young, right? I could say that for 11 more months. Um, the days where I go, I remember specifically having a conversation with my wife where I went, man, I just really feel like God's making me more humble. Like, it wasn't an hour later we were in the biggest fight of our marriage over something stupid and prideful that I did. The moments where I think I'm doing really well are the moments where I'm actually about to fall off a cliff. 
or I'm actually in a free fall and I don't even know it. You don't ever feel sanctification. And this is why the church is so important. This is why encouragement is so important. It's because without this, without encouragement from one another that I see this in you, I see Christ in you increasingly in this or in this or in this or in this, man, it's easy to get discouraged, isn't it? And so we have to go back to the Word and see this, right? Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's writing that to the church at Philippi, and he's writing these words, I am sure of this. I am confident that he who began the work will complete it. The pilot's going to get you to where you're going to go. Right? So you can have Jesus as the pilot, and the Holy Spirit is the, like the jet engine and the fuel. Like, I don't know. But you know what I'm saying. Like, I don't get myself to L.A. when I board a plane. I don't. I sit back and I eat peanuts and, I don't know, watch a movie on my phone or something. But he gets us there. And Paul says, I am sure that he will get us there because he said he would. Number four, the hope of the gospel. Right? Man, the book of Thessalonians is going to talk a lot about this. The hope of the gospel. Because these things have all happened, we have this undying hope. Right? But it doesn't come without trial. Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my, on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, again, this is from a guy like First Thessalonians is written by a guy who went to them, preached for a month, and was booted out of town, probably near death. Like this happened to Paul over and over and over and over. He would go to a town, preach the gospel. He'd get stoned. He'd get beaten and imprisoned, put in chains. So when he talks about like the hope of the gospel, he's talking about something that he's willing to die for. And Jesus promised us that hey, they persecuted the prophets, they're going to persecute you. And so this is the toughest part about all this for us, right? Because we live in America. And historically, in the past, it's been this, uh, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, right? But now we don't live in that culture anymore. We don't live in that culture anymore. We now live in a culture where you will be persecuted for preaching the gospel. You will. But man, it's more necessary than ever. C.S. Lewis wrote that God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. Suffering is God's megaphone to wake a sleeping world. Our world is full of people shouting, right? Amen? Like our culture that we live in right now, everybody's shouting from the top down, trying to make themselves heard. The loudest voice in our culture is one that suffers silently. The one that speaks quietly with conviction despite what's going on around them. 
That's the Holy Spirit working through you, giving you strength. Remember how are we conquerors? Through him who loved us? Not because of our own strength. Right in the book of Revelation, there's this scene where there's this multitude gathered before the throne of God, and it says that it's them who conquered the beast. How did they conquer the beast? By the blood of the Lamb. That's Jesus. We do not conquer anything in and of ourselves. We have no strength in and of ourselves. But the power of the Holy Spirit has the power to change us and work through us to change others. This is how God chose to bring about his redemptive plan. Sometimes I think, God, this is the most ineffective, inefficient thing you possibly could have done. But he has the benefit of being able to see a lot of stuff that I can't see. (laughs) Psalm 30 says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. This is the hope that you and I have. Right? The persecution that we will experience as we preach the gospel, the pain and the suffering we will experience because we live in a broken world will not last. This life is but a vapor. And the hope that we have is eternal. So here's what we have. Verses 1 through 6, right? Paul says that, the, that we came not just with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. And what happened? A church is created. A church is created. So this is Paul's entry. It's not just, hey, how are you? We're doing good. How are you? This is what he's saying. He's saying, we came, we did this, we did this, we did this. The Holy Spirit did these things, and the church was created. So from this point on, from verse 7 on through verses or books 1 and books 2, everything is based on these things. It's based on the fact that they spoke with simple words, and the power of the Holy Spirit moved powerfully, and the church in that town was born. And they can believe these because they experienced, right? Paul thanks them for their work, their labor, and their steadfastness. He says, thank you for doing these things. Why did they do those things? Because of everything we just talked about. They experienced the love of God. They experienced the love of God, which is the beginning of all of this, right? They heard the preaching of the gospel, and they experienced the power of the gospel through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And because of those things, they have the hope of the gospel, just like you and I have. So everything that we're going to hear for the next, I don't know, four months centers on this. Everything that you and I experience on a day-to-day basis, everything that we read in the scriptures, our lives that we live as a part of the church and in the world comes back to these things. It all comes back to these things. So I'd encourage you this week, uh, first of all, read verses 7 through 10. That's where David and Eli are going to be next week, verses 7 through 10. But think about these things. Think about 
right? Write them down if you want to. The origin of the gospel, which is the love of God, the preaching of the gospel, the power of the gospel, and the hope of the gospel, and how they work in succession. This is why we're here. Like, this is it. That's the foundation of why we're here, these things. And I think it's so perfect that Paul starts this letter like, again laying this foundation. And he's going to go on to encourage them, to build them up, to admonish them, but it all comes back to these. Amen? So what we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to sing some more. The band's going to come up. And I just want us to, like, let's just start with, let's just start with the love of God, right? As we sing these songs, I want us to just think about the, where, where the gospel came from, where it started, right in the heart of the mountain of God. I want us to thank him for that. And then we can come forth and we can take communion and thank him for what he's done for us. Amen?